Hi, I'm Sharon Hunter, and this is Moonstone Connections, a podcast that puts the spotlight on important leaders in the world of arts and entertainment. Through in-depth conversations with people in the arts, we will get a chance to learn about them and how they are making a difference. Well, we have a wonderful guest um, on Moonstone Connections, and she is Teresa Eyring. Teresa is the executive director and CEO of TCG, which is the Theater Communications Group. Teresa has served as the executive director of TCG since 2007. And under her leadership, TCG has invested in building greater equity, diversity, and inclusion in the American theater field and promotes a vision for a better world for theater and a better world because of theater. And I love that. Prior to joining TCG, Iring spent more than 20 years as an executive in theaters across the United States. Uh, prior positions have included managing director of the Children's Theater Company in Minneapolis, managing director of the Wilma Theater in Philadelphia, assistant executive director of the Guthrie Theater in Minneapolis, and development director of the Woolly Mammoth Theater Company in Washington, D.C. Iring holds a BA in international relations from Stanford U and an MFA in theater administration from Yale School of Drama. She is on the boards of the Actors Fund, the Performing Arts Alliance, and the Upper Manhattan Empowerment Zone. She's also on the advisory board of SMU Data Arts. That's a lot, <laughs> Teresa. You're, you're a powerful yeah. lady. And, 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 and a, real, uh, a real heroine for, I think, everyone in theater currently, because especially after the year that we've had, we all look to you for your leadership. And I can't, I can't say enough about how grateful and thankful I am to have you here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> I've just been, I've been watching uh, the leadership that you've been taking, Sharon, in St. Louis to really bring the theater community together and it's that kind of collaboration and togetherness that's helping us all get through this time. Well, thank you for that. And I, if I've had a small part in that, I appreciate it. I, you know, I, I like you, really believe in how we can make theater a better world. And, and you're right, when you bring people together, so many good things come out of that. But mm -hmm. I definitely want to start off by just talking to you about how you got into theater and are you from Minnesota originally? No, no, I'm originally from Baltimore. Really? Okay. Yes. <laughs> and was your was your first uh, feeling when you were a child? Was it theater? Was your family involved in theater? No, my family was not involved in theater, but my parents were fans of the arts. They loved visual arts, music, dance, theater. And it was important to them that they expose us as, as kids to the arts. So we, we did everything. We went to see plays. We went to hear music. And uh, it's a funny story I tell people is that for so I have six kids in my family. Oh, wow. So there were some traditions that my parents started, but then not everybody actually got to benefit from the tradition. But there was one tradition that uh, was at a certain age, uh, we would, my parents would bring family members to New York City. They loved New York. We'd get in the car, come to New York and do some sightseeing and attend theater mm -hmm. and enjoy all of the riches that New York offers culturally. 
So when I was 10 years old, we drove to New York. It's like about a four hour drive. And we stayed in a motel in the city and we attended two Broadway shows and uh, saw the sights. We probably took in a museum or two. Um, and one of the days we went to have lunch at a restaurant that was actually, it was a nice restaurant. My, my father figured out that if we went for lunch, we could have the nice restaurant experience, but it wouldn't be as expensive. Right. So we were at lunch and we were the only people in this restaurant, except one other table was occupied and it was occupied by Orson Welles. Wow. And my father recognized him and he, he walked over, he took the menu from the restaurant. He walked over to Orson Welles and he was like, Mr. Wells, I'm, I'm uh, Dr. Irene from Baltimore. <laughs> That's my wife and daughter over there. Um, can you sign this? So I still have this Orson Welles autographed menu. Um, no kidding. No, That's a great start to this story. I mean, yeah, you know, but, and but you know, so so we had this sense. I I I really had an appreciation at an early age, and. I started to realize, I, I went through a period where I was a little more focused on visual arts. Mm -hmm. um, I had a really fabulous art history teacher when I was in high school. I had a fabulous uh, art teacher. So I was a bit more focused on the visual arts, but I started to realize that there was something about all art forms that were important to community life. Mm -hmm. that brought people together, um, that expressed important ideas of the times. And so that is how I gradually moved into thinking that I just, I wanted my career to be about making the arts central in community life. Because the arts have such a, I think, a power of making change. And you're right. The arts, a lot of times are reflective of what's going on, and then they can be reflective of what's going on. And mm -hmm. so it, it, it was, it was all of that that got you then to continue to go through theater and doing theater when you were in college. And then how did you go from, you know, you went to college and then you were managing directors of many theaters and, <laughs> and, and then, then it became now the head of TCG. How did that all transpire for you? I should say that I didn't know when I was in college that there was such a thing as arts administration. I knew that I was interested in, less interested in being on stage than I was interested in being the person who got people there. Mm -hmm. I always wondered who, who gets the actors there, who gets the audience there, who, who's, who are the leaders who make that happen? And when I graduated from college, I moved to Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and I... It's just this very random thing. I came across a brochure for an arts administration program that was, I think, at Drexel. And I thought, wow, arts administration, I think that's what I want to do. And I, in DC, I, I was working for an organization called the World Hunger Education Service, and it was in the same church. They had an office in a church and it was the same church where the Woolly Mammoth Theater Company had their offices and their performances. Oh, okay. Woolly Mammoth uh, was a 
you know, only about a two-year-old theater company at the time. And I started attending their, their plays and I just fell in love with the work. And again, they were very interested in presenting often new work or, or plays that spoke to what was happening in, in the world, in our society at the time mm -hmm. um, that could really spark a conversation. And so I, I ended up getting hired by them as you mentioned in your introduction, I was the, I was the director of development for Woolly Mammoth for a couple of years. Yeah, and I didn't know at the time that I was going to focus. I I, I was playing with this idea of arts administration, but I didn't know that I was going to focus on theater entirely. I I then after a couple of years at Woolly Mammoth, uh, I had a mentor who suggested that I look at at going to grad school. So I applied to all the arts administration programs and I ended up going to the Yale School of Drama. And that's what really cemented the theater connection because I had to focus at that point. Right. And I had a fabulous experience there. I had uh, Ben Mordecai, who was the head of the program at the time, was somebody who just really encouraged me to think bigger about what I could accomplish mm -hmm. as a theater producer and administrator. And... So I think the rest is history, as they say. I, I went from Yale to, after I graduated, I was hired at the Guthrie Theater. I had another really incredible mentor there, or a couple of mentors, but Ed Martinson was, I was the assistant executive director of the Guthrie. And then, you know, I got hired by the Wilma. I was at the Wilma for a number of years. Then I bounced back to the Twin Cities uh, to work as the managing director of the Children's Theater Company. And uh, I feel really just so lucky because in each of those organizations, the artistic leaders were so visionary. And I always thought if I'm going to be in this managing leader, producing leader role, mm -hmm. I wanna be in this role in partnership with somebody who is just really ambitious as an artist. Right. And so, um, Peter Broches at the Children's Theater Company uh, was so much fun to work with. And that organization, uh, I think some of the best theater is being done there. Wow. Not, not just best theater for young audiences. I think they do some of the best theater in the country. So really great times there. I've, I kind of have a, a lot of experience with buildings and capital campaigns and, uh, so we built a building for an expansion when I was at Children's Theater Company. And, um, and then they were looking for somebody at to lead TCG and I, they contacted me and I just, after thinking about it for, for a little while, it made a lot of sense. For me to come in. So much yeah. of our, of especially theater is about connections and mentorships and really mm -hmm. connecting with people because it's such a people, it's such a people kind of career because you're dealing right. with the arts and you're dealing with audiences and there's always the sense of community. And, and how, what do you think that you learned the most from that experience that then propelled you into TCG? just your work with all the different theaters? What did, what did you gain, do you think, the most of from that? I, I gained a, a, a deep appreciation for the artistry of theater mm. and the collaborative nature of it mm -hmm. and how much theater impacts its communities. Yes. Um, 
that that was important. And I also gained just hands-on experience with how theater is made. Mm. And what that allowed me to do is really understand what the challenges are um, that that theaters face day in and day out. It's not, you know, the economics of theater <laughs> are don't don't make sense in some oh, respects. True. Yeah. Um, uh, the economics is not for profit theater because uh, it, there's there's a requirement in order to keep ticket prices affordable. Um, theaters really do need to raise significant funds. Uh, most theaters are raising significant funds in order to uh, do the work and pay people and make the work affordable um, for audiences. And it's uh, it's 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 challenging. I mean, the pandemic period has been challenging for theaters, but our field was experiencing challenges even before the pandemic. So mm-hmm. again, just staying vibrant and healthy and having the resources that are that are needed to continue to survive and thrive. Exactly. So for people who don't know what TCG is, and it's the Theater Communications Group, tell us about TCG, what it does, what what you do, because you do a lot. And we look at you for the leadership that we have here in, in, in the United States for theater. Yeah. TCG is National Organization for Theater. Theater Communications Group. Um, it was founded 60 years ago. We're, we're celebrating our wow. 60th anniversary this year. Oh, great. Congratulations. It was, founded, it was founded originally as a way to connect theater leaders across the country when the resident theater movement was very young. So there were, you know, maybe 10 resident theaters across the US, 10, 15, and TCG was founded through a grant from the Ford Foundation in order to help keep those leaders, make, make it possible for those leaders to communicate with each other and share uh, learnings, ideas, challenges. And in a way, we say TCG was a social network before social networking <laughs> existed. Right. It was. But in a way that is still core to who, t- who we are as an organization. The field has grown dramatically. Um, we have over 500 member theaters, but there are even more theaters uh, that are not members of TCG or they're community, more community-based theaters that maybe produce a show here and there, but don't exist uh, on a consistent year-round basis over time. So the theater field has grown um, and we still play that role of helping connect people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that through conferences. Uh, we do that through just personal one-on-one contact. Um, and, and that is, is a fairly essential piece of the work that we do, just organizing our, our theater community in that way. But over time, the organization also uh, established a few other aspects to its business. We're a very large publisher of plays. So we publish some of the country's leading playwrights, uh, not for licensing purposes, but mm-hmm. we trade editions of these plays so that they can be distributed to bookstores and and colleges for and universities for course adoptions and just for audience reading pleasure you know so very significant publishing effort Mm -hmm. also we publish american theater magazine so it's Mm -hmm. another way the theater field stays up to speed on what's happening everybody gets that everybody gets a magazine (laughs) um we have a grant program that 
uh, we manage in partnership with foundations that they're interested in our knowledge of the field mm -hmm. and they partner with us in order to develop these uh, develop programs that support uh, that support theaters and theater makers. So we are in the process very soon we'll be announcing our next uh, a, a new program in the grant in our grant making. Oh, really? Oh, realm. great. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, people are aware of the advocacy that we do as an organization. We're very committed that. to federal advocacy. And for a very long time, uh, our advocacy department, led by Laurie Baskin, has been working very hard in coalition with others to build bipartisan support at the federal level mm -hmm. for theater and the arts. And that has been so important in this last year because Especially. we've been, yeah, really working towards making sure there's federal relief for the how, arts. How have you seen, and, and let, I guess that's a good thing we should talk. I, I really wanted to talk to you about your, not only your feelings about how this, uh, the pandemic has affected theater, where we're headed, and also about the inclusion and equity and diversity that I know TCG has been at the forefront of even prior to last year. I mean, you have, you all have always taken that up and, and, and really made a difference, or at least we're trying to move into a place of difference with theater. Um, so I guess let's talk about the inclusion diversity first. We, in 2011, we adopted a, a strategic plan that prioritized what we at the time called equity, diversity, and inclusion. And we more frequently talk about anti-racism mm -hmm. today and dismantling white supremacy. Mm -hmm. And the reason why we committed so uh, in such a focused way and prioritized equity, diversity, and inclusion in that plan is because we saw that the field, our theater field had grown, our theater ecology had grown pretty dramatically over time. Mm -hmm. And that as a sector or as an ecology, the theater field was replicating some of the, the, the negative aspects, the structural racism that exists in other sectors of society. And we said, wait, we're th this is a theater field that has uh, a range of artistic expression within it. It's a diverse field in terms of how people identify. There is no excuse for us to be anything other than a, an equitable and just sector. We need to work towards that. Mm -hmm. And it, so, so we began then with a number of specific programs. We, we had a six point EDI plan <laughs> um, that included establishing an EDI Institute. We did that uh, in collaboration with Carmen Morgan, who now has a fantastic organization called Art Equity. And through the EDI Institute, we had a number of uh, classes or cohorts of theaters that committed to three years of developing their own internal understanding and analysis and developing action plans towards uh, becoming more equitable. Mm -hmm. And so we had, we just completed our fourth cohort. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Uh, 
And that, that we also were able to do that with support from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. And uh, it's, it's been, so the EDI Institute was one of the ways that we, we did that work. But over time, we've just realized, uh, you know, we're evolving and we're, we're realizing that the work is, um, it's, we have to stay on it and become more and more honest with ourselves about what's happening in the field at all times. And, you know, last year, over the course of last year, there was such a rise in activism across the country and recognition of, of the racism that exists within our society mm-hmm. and a desire to work together to eliminate it, to dismantle it, to recognize the white supremacy culture that exists. And um, as you know, there, uh, there was a collective called We See You White American Theater that, mm-hmm. <laughs> that uh-huh. put out demands for white theaters and predominantly white theaters and TCG has been helping facilitate conversations around addressing those demands. So I think it's just that we ultimately envision a theater world where everyone feels valued, treated well, treated fairly, treated humanely. And additionally, we recognize intersections where uh, you know, there's also the fact that there's an intersection with climate justice. Mm-hmm. We just did last week uh, a conference that was on climate and the climate crisis. And it was pretty amazing because what we realized is, you know, the, 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 the harmful aspects of climate change often disproportionately affect communities of color. Mm-hmm. And um, yes. there's a quite a bit of activism that's happening, particularly in in all communities, but in native and indigenous communities as well. So what we're realizing is as a theater field, we are in collaboration often. We have relationships with each other that are national and even global. We work globally as TCG as well. And that we can come together to address these very harmful and negative dynamics that exist within our larger community, our larger society. And those, you know, so we can work on it becoming anti-racist together. We can work on dismantling white supremacy together. We can work on addressing the climate crisis together. Um, I've noticed in the last year, it had become much more at the forefront than prior to that. And I see dismantling. I see change, especially here in St. Louis, it's been slow. Mm-hmm. And I but I've seen it more now than ever. And I was wondering, where do you think we still need work? Where is there change because needed? Because I I, I have to say, I think there's been and I'm sure you'll, you'll say this too, a feeling within the BIPOC community, that they don't really want to talk a lot anymore. They want us to talk. They want us to make uh, who who are white a lot of the changes and a lot of the. They want us to learn and really look into listening, and 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 seeing where things need to be dismantled. How do you feel about that? I think that's absolutely. I I think as white theater leaders and practitioners, we do need to lead mm-hmm. and and not assume that all the labor needs to be done by our BIPOC colleagues. Exactly. Um, so 
it's thank you for raising that it it because that's the messages that i heard and you know you know with with the st louis theater community task force i have tried to i, I want to be I want to be a listener. I want to be a learner. And I want to do what I can in my own life and in my own work to reflect that. And, and that's, that's come at a, at a, at a, a time when we are really becoming more um, sensitive and more uh, really alert about what we, what we carry within ourselves. And we yeah didn't even really think about it until really strongly this year. It's been an, it's really been a momentous and a changing year, I believe. Yeah, I think so. And one of the things that we talk about also at TCG is just that during the pandemic, um, people have had, they've, they've, a lot of folks have had time to a lot of folks have been busier than ever, <laughs> yeah. but have also, because of staying in place, have also had more time to really reflect um, and to think about what it looks like to to reopen differently. You know, mm -hmm. to come back not to just okay when things when theaters when the coast is clear and theaters are safe to open again. Don't just go back to exactly the way things were, but think about how we might reopen differently, reop reopen in a revolutionary new way. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think right now it's important for theaters to continue and theater leaders to continue to have a consciousness about that. Um, that, you know, how will we bring to bear some of the, the what we learned from the WCU demands? How will we um, continue to do personal, deep internal work? Um, to recognize the racism that all of us and the bias that all of us carry with us every day. I mean, you mm -hmm. can't you can't avoid that. What you can do is really work on making sure that you do what you can to prevent harm being done to others and to repair that harm when it's when it is done. Right. Um, and it's, it is, yeah, it is a learning process. And it's, uh, I just, yeah, my, my hope is that as we go forward, people will continue to prioritize this work and make time for it and, um, and, and recognize that I had an interesting conversation with a colleague recently who said, theaters don't necessarily even there, there are a lot of assumptions about how theater works and how many shows need to be done in a year and um, exactly what theater looks like. And those assumptions can be questioned, you know, as we reopen, like, do you have to reopen right away just because you can? Um, the economics may, may be necessary for some theaters, but other theaters have said that they actually are doing better when they don't produce. Interesting. Wow, that's an interesting conversation. I'm talking just financially because of, of course, you know, yeah, just just because of the cost of producing and and the difficulty sometimes of raising the funds to cover the full cost of production. So it's been a tough uh, it's been a tough you know year to look at the landscape of where we've been and where we're going. And I guess and it and I guess we could follow that 
path into the next question of this pandemic and how had how it has across the board changed how we produce, how we're still trying to get back on our feet. And, and I guess from a national sense, where do you see things right now? And where do you see it going in the future? I think one of the things that has impressed me so much over the last year is the, the dedication, the resilience, the creativity that theater folks have been bringing to bear and trying to do something, you know, truly, truly trying to do something to continue to engage audiences um, and to, to, to make sure that they, they stay present. So part of that has been, you know, for years throughout my entire career, there's been the question about how does theater have some presence in online space? and virtual space. Uh, you know, for a long time that was, how do we, how, how does theater get, you know, how do we record shows so that they can be on television or in movie theaters? Um, lots of discussion as Net, Netflix and other kinds of virtual platforms emerged. How does theater connect with that? Over the last year, many theaters have solved that problem. Mm -hmm. and have done some extraordinary work in virtual space. So one question I have is how will virtual production, um, how will it continue? And will it complement live performance in some way? And there's some folks who may not come back to theater right away and perhaps they will still appreciate the opportunity to see a live stream or to see uh, a virtual production. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see how that continues to stay, uh, how, how virtual production continues. I think that um, some theaters are questioning how quickly audiences will return. I think that people are gonna be so thrilled mm -hmm. I do too. <laughs> to return to, to live performance. I do too. And I think that we'll, I, most theaters I'm predicting will be surprised by how many folks are going to come back and want want to sit in those seats and attend theater? I think um, it's it, missing. Yeah, I think yeah. people are missing it very much. Um, so I think that will happen. Um, I'm interested in you know one of the things I think we discovered over the course of this past year too is just we still don't have an infrastructure for artists that is as robust as it should be. You know, artists are mostly, our artists are mostly freelance. Mm -hmm. um, and when theaters had to cut back their budgets and cut their staffs, yes, they did, especially during this pandemic. You know, we saw theaters that reduced their budgets by 75%. They did have to, you know, they cut full-time staff. They cut, they, they didn't hire freelancers, many of them. But artists often are the ones that, really lose out because they don't they don't have that that full-time connection that that connection to year-round health insurance that um you know some of the advocacy we did this year was valuable in the sense that we were able to get federal some federal relief for artists through uh freelancers being able to apply for unemployment but um i think that artists coming back 
people have moved, people left New York, people are all over the country now. Um, yeah, there was quite an exodus out of New York City with all the pandemic. Yeah. So and how, so where are the artists and, and how, how will they re-enter the work? Um, so all those, those questions are there, but I think what's going to happen is theaters will reopen, audiences and communities will be excited that theater is there. It will help local economies. Um, but the rebuilding back to anything of the scale that many of the theaters were is the thing that's going to take some, some time. I, I agree with you. And I think it's interesting that you brought up about keeping virtual because we were just discussing this the other day at a meeting about how important we're starting to see about con combining it as we go forward live the live productions, but keeping the virtual because there seems to be so much benefit in the virtual about reaching audiences that you wouldn't reach and, and how people from all different states and countries can still watch your productions, how important it is to the disability community, people who couldn't get there in person, or people who really enjoy watching things virtually, who don't want to be in a theater and don't feel comfortable. And it seems like there's that feeling of it should be combined. So right. I think it's interesting that you would bring that up. Yeah. Also, a number of theaters ended up with audiences all over the world. I know. That's, you that's know, they, amazing. They, they would say, you know, there's there's a mood performing arts in the Twin Cities I'll never forget in the very beginning of their, uh, the, the pandemic, they were doing these Facebook events. I think they were just on Friday, but they, I remember them saying, you know, we have only a couple hundred seats in our theater, but for some of these events, we've had thousands of people show up from all over the world. And I think many organizations have that experience. And, you know, what do you do in order to maintain that level of connection? I mean, today is International Dance Day. And oh, yes, that's I, mention, right. I mention it because there's a program going on right now that is uh, showing dance from all over the world. And I think, you know, in a normal year, they might have had, I, I think they do uh, have had an international, like web based program. Mm -hmm. But this year, uh, the way in which even the International Theater Institute has, which TCG is part of, uh, is the U US Center for, we share with uh, the Laboratory for Global Performance and Politics in Georgetown. Um, they've, they've had a number of gatherings that have been global gatherings mm -hmm. online and it's worked out really beautifully. So I just think the, the connection that we have beyond our borders has been strengthened mm -hmm. and people are getting to know each other's work in ways that we haven't been able to before. Where do you see theater? I mean, I mean it, may be, it may be, you know, a question that is hard to answer, but where do you see us in say five years? I mean, do you think, I mean, I truly am always positive. So I believe it's gonna come back bigger and better and it's going to have all new parts to it. And, and I, I, I'm sure you probably are seeing some of that where you feel like it's going to be, it's going to be pretty terrific in five years. At least I hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm optimistic as you are. 
And I, yeah, I think that in five years, well, my, my hope is that some of the work that we've been doing to build a more equitable theater ecology. Yes. My hope is that the theater field in five years, we will see a strengthening of our, 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 what we, we call BITOC black indigenous theaters of color, mm-hmm. um, that we will see a continued, uh, again, that, that the reopening process that happens in the next year or so will occur in such a way that, that theaters are thinking deeply about their structures, about the work they're doing, about, you know, access and what, what they're charging for tickets. Because as I mentioned earlier, um, I think there's a goal to, for most theaters to have their, their ticket prices, for resident theaters to have their ticket prices be affordable for communities. But in many cases, the ticket prices have gotten very high. So yes. I, hope, I hope price will be a thing that, that theaters are able to consider going forward um, so that they're accessible to more folks. I mean, the economy is, has been, in, over the last year, uh, a lot of folks lost their jobs. A lot of folks, um, you know, it's, it's gonna take time for the economy to rebuild as well. Even though we're hearing good news, I think, you know, how long that takes to actually affect, uh, affect people who right, might to be implemented, be right? It's going to take some time. So I don't know. In five years, uh, I I I hope that we'll see a vibrancy in our theater community and our our performing arts sector that people will have recognized. It's you know at the federal level, there's a recognition of how important arts organizations are in their communities, um, not just for what they bring in terms of culture and connection, but also their impact on local economies. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling hopeful. Hopeful. Yes. Yes. What do you think can be improved? And, and I mean, it, from, from a Broadway sense and then also nationally, where do you think, I mean, where do you, do you think it'll open up soon on Broadway? I mean, are they, they're scheduled for fall is an opening. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I believe fall is when we'll start to see most of the activity happening That's on good. Broadway. Yeah, I, I think about those theaters and I think there's some logistical challenges with Broadway theaters just in terms of how how large they are, mm-hmm. how just the facilities that are there, the lobbies can be small, the 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 restrooms, all of it. I think uh, I think they have a lot to 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 work out logistically in order to get people back in and to get people feeling safe. Um, I think that there's also been a big discussion about Actors' Equity Association and the the safety plans that they have in place. And those plans have been difficult for a lot of theaters to actually meet. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about that because that has been, a, I think, a, a very important aspect of this with actors in general, especially ones who are in the union and the union has had very strict rules about, you know, keeping us safe, which I understand and, and I appreciate, but it also has, it's almost, um, you know, I think a lot of actors feel like their hands are tied and they can't do anything. And I was wondering what you've heard from just, you know, the New York connection about that and, and how that's, 
playing out with theater in general? Uh, I, I think there's been some frustration over the last many months that uh, a number that theaters, both actors and and theaters, have wanted to be able to go back to work. And um, as I mentioned, I think the safety protocols are are, are pretty strict. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, from the union's perspective, I'm sure that is really just their desire to make absolutely sure that their members are not. Um, being put in harm's way with respect to the, the pandemic and COVID. Um, but I think, you know, we're starting to see some theaters opening and some music that's that's happening. Again, they're creating socially distanced uh, seating arrangements. There's lots more outdoor theater that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so slowly but surely things are starting to happen here. Also in New York, uh, I, I think what happened last summer is that there were some, uh, there were outdoor opportunities that were a little more pop-up and informal, um, and the New York Department of Cultural Affairs and, and others who are, you know, sort of have the Parks Department and others who are able to marry, like, outdoor spaces with arts and culture makers have really come together and tried to organize it better sure. for this coming summer. So we have a whole open, open streets program. So there are different things happening where entire streets will be closed, closed off so that people can um, not just have kids playing in the street, but also actually program arts in the streets. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're navigating, let's just say, we're, we're finding ways here. It's been a learning experience for just, I think, everyone involved about how to, you know, navigate it, like you said, and how to just, you know, come up with maybe alternate routes of, of how we're going to do it and how we're going to um, create theater as we go forward. And I, and I do, I applaud every day the, the, the people who have made such strides in being creative and being, you know, inventive with their with their theater and, and and how they've still been able to get a product out that's not been easy right um, yeah uh, uh, do you find that um, what you're seeing across the board is that most people feel positive as as we're heading into 2021 and we're getting into it we've already wow we're already saying goodbye to April so it's <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. Uh, what do you see uh, for, um, you know, just the, the, the mood, I guess, of people in general who are doing theater? I think people are tired. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I think we are. It's been a long, you know, haul. Yeah, I think people are tired. And, um, <laughs> you know, some of it is because it's it's just... It's been exhausting to, uh, to, to go through so many, so many months of trying to predict mm-hmm. like when, I mean, first of all, theater people exist in order to do this incredibly collaborative social art form. Exactly. And we have been completely separated from that for 
12 months. Mm -hmm. And so that I think just keeping the the sense of optimism, keeping the sense of we're going to come, it's, it's coming, it's going to come back. We're going to be able to do this work again. Um, I think that is something that people at a point can continue doing and will do as long as is needed. But I think there's just, I'm sensing a, a real exhaustion. Yeah, because and, we've, we've literally been separated from each other physically, which is not in our nature in this business. We are, no. we are near each other. We are with each other. We work together with each other closely and to not even physically be able to be near, you know, and, and just to see your face on a screen, <laughs> the day that I can give you a hug, Teresa will be, you know, the sun will shine. I because... can't wait. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I, I know it's, it's, uh, it's not, it's not been easy. I mean, um, yeah. not at all. Uh, so is the TCG conference, is that, I guess, when is that going to be again? Or when will we be gathering, do you believe? 2022? Well, 2021, we actually have a two-part conference oh, in May, oh, which I hope fantastic. people will register for. It's on two oh, yes. days. Oh, I can't um, wait for that. Yep. Yeah. So uh, just go to the website, right? The TCG website. Yeah, you can go to tcg.org and find it under events. And it's going to be a, a truly exciting uh four days total over two weeks. And we are going to be talking about um, three, we have three different topic areas, which we consider to be intersecting topics, anti-racism, um, the environment and the climate emergency and oh, those are great uh, reopening, topics. reopening differently. Um, so those, those are on deck. We have some great speakers. Um, we're, we're in the process in the next couple of weeks, you'll be seeing and reading more about it. Um, we'll be making some announcements. We also have a gala that is on May 18th, our 60th anniversary, oh, virtual, <laughs> virtual gala. Um, so that, yeah, so that'll be an opportunity for folks to come together. And then in 22, uh, our plan, we were, it, originally having our conference live in Pittsburgh this year, mm -hmm. but we've moved it. So the intention is to have a live conference next year in Pittsburgh. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh, that's, that's yeah. wonderful. Then, then I can, then I can hug you in person in 2022. <laughs> right. uh, if people want to get involved with TCG, what's, how would they do that? I mean, I, I know, you know, there's probably a lot of theater makers who are listening to this and thinking, how do I get, how do I get involved with this? And what do I do? Well, I think um, if, if you're complete, if TCG is completely new to you, certainly go to our website. Um, yeah. We have a site that's called the circle, the TCG circle, where we have a number of different communities that are, there's, there, there are groups that some of them are open to join. Others are, are very connected to member theaters and budget groups and things like that. Um, you could become an individual member of TCG oh, okay. and that will, make it possible for you to receive, you know, you'll, you'll then be on all of our lists and receive lots of information about what's happening, including our, Ameri you could, you could sign up for the American Theater Weekly Newsletter. Um, you'll get 
lots of information about advocacy and how to get involved more in advocacy. So I think that's that's a good start is to go to www.tcg.org um, for starters. And um, attending our conferences is always a, a great way to learn things and also to meet folks, other people mm -hmm. in the theater field. Mm -hmm. A lot of, I mean, a lot of theater students are graduating because we are getting into May here. And what, what do you, what advice would you give to young people getting into theater now? I mean, I'm curious to hear, especially as a powerful woman, there's a lot of women that get into theater, especially now, which is great. Um, but in general, theater students, what do you think, what do you think they should be doing? And what's, What's advice that you can give? I think it well. It depends on what their their passion is. Mm -hmm. um, are they actors? Are they multidisciplinary in some way? Are they are they interested in production administration? Right. Um, I I just think it's important for uh, you know we have at our conference a, a, a session or an afternoon that's called the Inheritors. And it is specifically for um, the next generation of theater makers. Oh, great. And they're going to be talking a lot about what theater, what they want to prioritize as theater makers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's going to be really exciting. Um, but where I was going is, I, I think it's really important to keep options open in terms of how you fit into the theater field and what it looks like for you. I, I think it getting too focused too early um, may not be as beneficial as learning something about, <clears throat> if you're an actor, learning some things about how to, how to fundraise, learning some things about how to produce. Um, I think, you know, recognizing that chances are you will have multiple multiple roles <laughs> in the theater field. You may be on stage some of the time, you may be teaching some of the time, you may be, um, you may have opportunities to, to produce. So I think it's, you know, not limiting the possibilities too early, too early on. The other thing I think is important is the opportunities on stage are, are limited and, um, I think some folks graduate as actors, for example, and they think about, well, um, cruise ships <laughs> or Disney right. Right. or, right. Right. you know, those other ways in which actors find employment. But there's also just the fact that there's a sense of activism that exists within the theater field. And, there, and, and I think that um, to view yourself as someone who can be an artist activist and really connect with whatever community you're in and understand that there can be a relationship between your creativity and your, your, your presence as an artist or as an administrator and the good of the community that you're in. Um, you know, theater people are storytellers, sense makers, um, really, really good at doing lots of different things because mm -hmm. of, you know, how many skills are involved in theater making. So I think it's, you know, to not, again, not be too limited in how mm -hmm. you think about 
what theater is and what impact it, it can have and what your role can be. Right. Learn all aspects of it and be open yeah. to all of it, because especially as we've seen in the last year to have to, to pivot and, and to, to do a different part of it has been the number one thing. I mean, it, you know, I'm an actor, but I'm, I'm also, you know, doing things with activism. I'm also doing things with, you know, the podcast I've had to, to pull on those other talents that I had or skills. So to limit myself into just being one thing in theater would have limited me. So I think that's a great, that's a great thing that you said and wonderful advice about if you're getting into this, get into it and learn all about it. Yeah. Keep your Absolutely. options open. And another plug for TCG. Yes, please. <laughs> I think, I think that students and uh, those who are graduating should connect up with TCG and consider becoming individual members because I know so many artists I talk to who are a little bit farther along in their careers refer back to being in high school or college or recent graduates and really finding out what was happening by reading American theater or by trying to come to a TCG conference. Um, that's how you start making connections, building relationships, knowing what work is being done around the country, knowing what the conversations are. Um, and so I, I think to, to, to really feel like you're part of it, um, it's a good idea to, to get involved with an organization like TCG or to get involved with um, whatever your local uh, theater association or arts council is. Um, but, but the fact of the matter is that some artists and practitioners will stay local. They'll stay in whatever community they're from. Sure. But this is also, theater field is very interconnected and interdependent in certain ways. And so most folks have the opportunity to get outside of where they're from in theater. You know, as an actor, to be hired in another community or as a designer or as an administrator, mm -hmm. the opportunities are all over the U.S. So, um, you know, I really strongly recommend just being aware of what's happening on a national basis. And we also have a publication called Art Search. And this year, as a result of some very strong advocacy from production people across the country, Mm -hmm. um, who reached out to us and suggested that we eliminate, um, we had a subscription fee for our search, but requested that we make it free for, for the job seeker. So people can go on art search and look at what jobs are available. Um, yes. it doesn't list, it doesn't list, uh, auditions per se, but other kinds of positions are in there. Um, Yeah. It's um, it's exciting to see what's happening. And I was going to ask you just your thoughts about how transformative theater can be. And especially mm -hmm. what you're seeing now, what's been the most like transformative thing you've seen in say like the last year for yourself in theater? Well, most of <laughs> Most everything I've seen has been transformative in virtual space. Yes. In virtual space. 
and uh, I've seen some some really fantastic work that's been done uh, by a number of different companies. One of my one one of the most remarkable things I saw was uh, the Wilma Theater's production of Will Arbery's Heroes of the Fourth Turning. Oh, uh, it was a it was a virtual piece, and it was incredible. It was uh, this this is a whole other conversation, but I I, I they they found it was directed by Blakaziska, and and she has a company of artists who work together frequently and train together mm -hmm. in Philadelphia, and you could really see how much these these actors have worked together. In, mm -hmm. it's, it was filmed, but it felt like this, this hybrid between, it, it wasn't really film, it wasn't film acting, but it also wasn't stage acting, you mm -hmm. know, because when actors are on stage, they're projecting. Um, so it wasn't that kind of projection right. that they were, that, that, that characterized their acting. Um, but it also, so it wasn't like, it wasn't like they were on stage, but it also weirdly wasn't like they were on film either. So interesting, but it was beautiful. The acting was so strong. And um, in live, the only thing that I've, the only work that I've seen has been just um, pop-ups that I've, I've seen out on the street in New York, really honestly. Uh, Bill Irwin, very early in the pandemic, in, um, had a performance that he was doing on a street corner in New York. Oh, wow. And oh, my goodness. Yeah. He's such and a that genius. Was, it was so much fun to see him in that way. Um, there, I saw a really beautiful um, flamenco performance that was just on a platform outside of a restaurant. Oh, see again, the creativity and the yeah. innovation of what people, because that's the thing you can't stop. Um, you can't stop the arts. It, it, there's gotta be a place for it. It always kind of seeps out. It comes out. People need to feel like they can, you know, just get that out of their system and, yeah. and keep that going. What's next for you? Like what's the next, um, the next thing you're doing or what it, what do you think is, is on the horizon for, for you? Well, I'm really looking forward to, uh, um, being of service <laughs> during the next That's few it. years yeah. of, of theater returning and, and bringing all of the resources we have at TCG, the knowledge, the advocacy power, all, all the, the commitment we have to anti-racism and really trying to transform our field to be more equitable and mm -hmm. to be um, a, a, a much more rewarding place for all who are in it. You're doing that and you're doing that so well. Yeah. And conversations are making a difference. A better world because of theater is something I, I very much believe in. We have a new strategic plan and that was just passed by our board a few months ago. And our, we revised our mission statement to, um, our mission is to lead for a just and thriving theater ecology. Oh, that's and, perfect. And I feel I'm very committed to that what, you know, making sure that our field is just and that our field has the ability to thrive. Mm -hmm. um, so that's on the horizon for me. The other thing we haven't talked about too much yet is um, 
my role as I'm on the executive council of the International Theater Institute, which um, is a worldwide organization. It's based in Paris and Shanghai. And, wow. um, and I've gotten very involved and have, have been for a number of years, but since I've been on the executive council. Mm -hmm. So I will be, uh, and, and we have a role in leadership for the Americas. So hoping to bring together more conversations among practitioners in the US, Canada, um, Mexico, South American countries, Central America, the Caribbean, um, because, uh, you know, we're, there, there's, there's exciting work happening all over the Americas. And, and I feel that we have so much to share, um, to learn from each other in, again, in the coming back. Mm -hmm. uh, it was interesting a few, uh, a couple of months ago, um, one of my colleagues in Colombia, South America, was trying to get the rights to do an adaptation of Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men because their main theater, they're beautiful. They have this beautiful old theater in, in downtown Bogota. Mm -hmm. They decided to have a short run of presentations from some of their leading directors so that audiences could come back I said, why are they doing this? And he said, they're doing it for happiness. <laughs> oh, that's, that's a great um, reason. But I was able to help him get the rights for these performances mm -hmm. of the play. And I realized, you know, there's work that's playwrights of playwrights and authors from the U.S. that other folks around the world are interested in presenting um, maybe interested in doing translations of. Um, so that's just one example of how a conversation can take place. Like what work is, is being made in the U.S. that people are interested in presenting or producing in other countries. Um, so that work, but also just the conversation around the pandemic was global. So, <laughs> so all of us, all, all live performing arts um, have suffered in the same ways. And we're all going to be struggling with what does it look like to come back? What does it look like to come back in ways that are more sustainable? What does it look like to come back in ways that are more equitable? Um, that's, yeah. I think we benefit from sharing information outside of just our own US-based theater ecology. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up on an international level because I think sometimes we, you know, we get we get sort of tunnel vision. We think we're we're the only ones that are being affected by it. And then we we seem to forget that the pandemic was global and it it affected the arts worldwide. And so it's that rebuilding and that coming back. And you're at the forefront of that, at least working with so many people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's positive to hear this, what you're talking about, that you're starting to work together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so I, I am looking forward to, you know, continuing to cultivate those conversations. Again, one of, if, you know, one of the positives of the last year is that people have, because of Zoom and because of WebEx and because of Facebook Live and all People are, people are communicating more globally than they ever have before. And my hope is that some of those, those things that, that happened because of the pandemic um, 
new habits, new ways of communicating that we hang on to. Mm -hmm. We hang on to those because I think it's been, it's helped expand horizons. It's helped expand communities of, of art makers. Um, yeah, so it's exciting. Those are some of the things I'm thinking about for myself. I also hope to get on an airplane sometime in the not too distant future. <laughs> I, you know, I, I typically I travel quite a bit to visit mm -hmm. theaters and talk to boards and um, and attend shows. And I, it's been uh, since I haven't been on a plane in the last more than a year. Uh, I just really look forward to visiting theaters in person and right right and actually seeing how they're doing being able to like you said get on a plane and and just you know see other places and see other you know live productions and uh and and work with people in that in that regard um i don't you know i i hope that's coming soon <laughs> yeah of course we also have to watch our carbon footprints yes that's <laughs> so true that's true. Yeah. That's another part of this too, is just that there's, there's so many things now that we have to really be conscious of and think about for, you know, just, just the way we live. Yeah, we do. And we do. And I, I, I think it's just so important to be conscious of how quickly we can move into acceleration and warp speed of all things changing back, changing mm -hmm. back, going back to <laughs> something I, that people are striving for that they think is normal. Um, and I think everyone can benefit from just trying to find the ways to be, be mindful of the fact that there's a choice about how how you live your life um, in as 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 things begin to open up again and people begin moving around again. Mm -hmm. um, not just how you live your life as an individual, but you know what organizational life looks like as well. Mm -hmm. So, and. Uh, I think that um, we have a lot to look forward to, and I and I'm I and I think that the conversations that you all are having and the work that TCG is doing is so beneficial to us actually opening up and becoming, you know, the, the theater, the theater world that we want to become. And I think we're, you know, if we didn't have you at the forefront, I don't know, I don't know what we would do because you're you're making such a change and such, such a difference, <laughs> really, really. Thank and you. I applaud you for that. And I just a million thanks for, for, for being with us today to, to talk about this. I could talk to you for hours, Teresa. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours too. You're just the most fascinating woman and uh, you've done so much for our community as a whole. I mean, nationally, globally, it's, it's, it's just so impressive and I can't thank you enough. Thank you, Sharon. I really enjoyed being with you today. Oh, thank you. And this again, Teresa Eyring is the executive director and the CEO of TCG. And she is really one of the, uh, the, the leaders of our community. And again, a million thanks.
My pleasure. Well, that's our show. Thank you for joining me. Be well, be safe, and be good to each other. I'm Sharon Hunter. Until next time on Moonstone Connections.